Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truths of priorities. How many people are assuming they're going to be in heaven because they go to church, because they carry a Bible, because they do some work in the church, or maybe missions, or maybe they even give a great amount of money? And then that day Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me. It breaks the heart of God. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Have you ever had to prepare a character sketch? You might have been asked to portray someone who's angry or someone who's funny. But how would you depict someone who's religious? Well, today, Pastor Xavier has done your homework for you. He's taken the time to draw out three traits of someone who wants to give the mere appearance of devout spirituality. We'll be joining him in the Gospel of Luke for today's Simple Truth study titled, You Cannot Fool God. Let's listen. Luke chapter 14, we're going to look at verses 1 through 24 in the message entitled, You Cannot Fool God. Luke presents to us here in our text a dinner with a religious Jew, a Pharisee, and it reveals to us three groups who will not enter the kingdom of God. Now, it's like a threefold extended telescope. Each proceeds from the previous one, as we'll see this. But it begins at a dinner in verses 1 through 24. He begins with the person having evil intentions. This is the first section of the telescope. And notice the location is very specific as he went into the house of the one uh, ruler here, the Pharisees. And Jesus, remember, ate at the house of Simon the Pharisee in chapter 7 and also with another Pharisee in chapter 11. So here we have now a third occasion with a Pharisee. But notice the motive for the invitation is indicated in verse 1 that they watched him closely. Now we already know the relationship between Jesus and the Pharisees is they were always trying to trap him. They were always trying to fall, fall in him with the, with the traditional keeping of the law. So Jesus has the upper hand here. Uh, now, notice the reason being was that the Pharisees had planted a man here. This is the whole thing. It's a setup. Who needed healing. He says, behold, there was a certain man before him who had a dropsy. Now, dropsy is a, a medical term for retaining water in, under the skin and the tissue, and it causes swelling and great pain. And these individuals that plotted this man there because they knew that they, they, Jesus always identified himself with the person of the greatest need. They've said nothing, and he says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Well, this is exactly what they're saying. I wonder if he's going to do it. Yeah, I think he will. He, he's not, he's not going to be able to just resist it. Put that guy, that guy is hurting. Look at how big he is. Look at all the water he's retaining. I am certain they were shocked at his words. Yet every time Jesus ate with someone, it seems that he always reveals their thoughts. <laughs> Jesus had exposed their foolish interpretations and evil hypocrisy of the religious oral traditions that only allowed someone to sustain some injury but not make it better. So in other words, if you, it was a Sabbath day and you're bleeding, they could put a tourniquet on or something like that, but they couldn't put anything to make you better. They have to wait till the Sabbath day was over. Well, that's a foolish law. Jesus showed that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath in Mark 2.27. Uh, it was to rest, to recuperate, to think on God and not to put him in bondage. Notice Jesus 
cured the man of his dropsy. He took him, healed him, made him whole. Jesus exposed the hypocrisy of these religious Pharisees of 5 and 6. Notice, he confronted them personally. Then he answers them saying, Which of you having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into the pit will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? The implication being that they did so and would so. He rebukes them for their duplicity. They lay the heavy trip on the people, but they don't bother that. They were willing to allow this man with the dropsy to continue in this horrible condition due to the burdensome interpretation of their law, thinking themselves to be righteous and pleasing God. So the person having evil intentions does not deceive God at all. Now notice the second section of the telescope comes out. In 7 through 11, the conduct of the guests at the dinner prompted Jesus to rebuke them. Jesus gave a parable in verse 7 there due to observing all the people that were seeking out the most honorable seats at the dinner. So he told a parable of those who were invited when he noted those how they chose the best places. The parable, again, is one of the ambitious guests here. Jesus said to them, don't be presumptuous. When you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place. The best place were the chief reclining places called triclinium, a table for three. We've seen this before. The center would be the chief seat, and then the left and right followed. Now, as invited guests, this was socially unacceptable, and it was bad manners. When you are invited somewhere, they seat you. Notice Jesus gave the negative reason. Don't miss it. One word. Lest one more honorable than you be invited by him, by the host. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. Oof. As you get up, everybody's looking at you. And you've got to start walking towards the back as everybody follows you. <laughs> You're eating crow. Jesus then pointed out the benefit of having a modest view of self. He makes the contrast here. He instructed them to be humble. Look at verse 10. But when you're invited, go and sit down in the lowest place. And Jesus gives the positive reason so that when you, he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. This is much better. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. What a contrast between being asked to go to the back or to be asked to come up front. <laughs> Here's the punchline. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. A parable compares or contrasts, and it has one key verse as the central message. Proverbs 29, 23 says, A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. Now with verse 12 through 14, the motive of the host. Now, he's dealt with the host. He was there. They set him up. 
He's watching how everybody's jockeying for best places. He gives a parable there. Now he turns and goes back to the host that invited him, the Pharisee. And he rebukes him. Jesus exposes his ulterior motive here for self-gain on earth by another parable of inviting guests to a dinner. He warned the Pharisee of personal social benefits. Listen to his words. Then he also said to him who invited him, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your, don't miss it, your friends, your brothers, your relatives, rich neighbors. Nothing wrong with having people over. But the motive is what is wrong here, and Jesus points this out. His hospitality is limited and exclusive in kind and in class of the people he invites, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. The Pharisee was interested in being reciprocated, Jesus says. The Pharisee was not being benevolent, but calculating. He repeats the same scenario, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. These correspond to the previous four categories. Listen how they, they, they fit. Your friends, the poor. Your brothers, the maimed. Your relatives, the lame. I like that. <laughs> Rich neighbors, the blind. Wow. Perspective, huh? Jesus exhorted him, notice, in verse 14, to seek a heavenly reward over an earthly one. The promise of Jesus is while on earth and you will be blessed. The reason, because they cannot repay you. And the promise of Jesus in heaven is for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Wow. The person living by self-seeking ambitions are abased by God. Notice the third section of the telescope comes out from this one. The person rejecting the gospel invitation. In 15 to 20, the unexpected declaration that came from a person prompted Jesus to give another parable. He gives these three parables. In 15, the person expressed the blessedness of the one partaking the kingdom age, hearing what Jesus told the host in verse 14. He was sitting at the table, notice, in verse 15. So possibly and most likely, he was a Pharisee and a lawyer also. Now, when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, these things that he needed to be more concerned about the reward of the, at the resurrection, not on earth. He said to Jesus, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Assuming he would be there, perhaps. The criticism and judgment is against these religious Pharisees. I don't think this one was any exception. Now, people make different observations. They say, this guy, these are just religious platitudes. And other people, other people say, well, you know, I think he's the only one that got the message. But the parable is against these Pharisees. Now, the Jews were waiting for the kingdom age. They were waiting for the Messiah. But they were refusing to enter in through the only door, the only gate, Jesus Christ. 
yet they were assuming they were going to be there. Blessed is the man. How many people are assuming they're going to be in heaven because they go to church, because they carry a Bible, because they do some work in the church or maybe missions or maybe they even give a great amount of money. And then that day Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me. Wow. The Lord Jesus then presented the way to enter the kingdom of God through the gospel invitation by a parable of the great supper. But it would be rejected. He tells them right up front, 16 through 20. So he's addressed the guests as they're jockeying for seats and everything. He's addressed the host. Now he speaks to the one who gave this proclamation. <laughs> then he said to him, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many. The certain man is God the Father. The prophets had been sent in the first call. Notice he says, and sent his servants at supper time to say to those who were invited. All day long, God sent his prophets, prepared Israel. All along. The promise, the invitation. They were looking. They were supposed to be looking. And then he says, come for all things are now ready. This is the second call. John the Baptist broke the 400 years of silence. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. I am not the Messiah. But there's one among you whose shoelaces I'm not worthy to loosen. He shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. I'm the voice crying in the wilderness. Prepare you the way of the Lord. The Roman roads were prepared. One language that unified the whole world known of that day, the Roman Empire, Greek. Galatians 4.4 4 says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth the Son made of a woman under the law. Right on time. Roads to travel. One language to be understood by everybody. The gospel could travel. Messiah, right on time. Now notice the various excuses come, but they were a great insult to God. This was the consistent response of the Jews they had received the invitations and were expected to come, but they had a lot of lame excuses, as many people do. Up front, he says, but they all, with one accord, began to make excuses. The first said to him in verse 18, I have brought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excuse. What man buys property without looking at it first? He'd be an idiot or a liar. Maybe he's both. <laughs> this is financial gain, even though it's a lie. You see where his heart is. And there are a lot of people that rejected the kingdom and the gospel because of financial gain. That's what they live for. They don't want to be interrupted in life. They don't want to get involved with the things of God, let alone give money. Oh, you kidding? Another said, 19, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excuse once again. What man buys oxen without trying them? He's buying them to make a living, to work his farm. Once again, he's lying or he's a fool. But there are people like that that all they do is work, work, work. And that's why they don't come to church. And that's why they don't accept the gospel. That's why they're never around. Well, all the money in the world is not going to help you when it comes to eternity. And all the money that you give to your family, if you're not 
in the work of God means absolutely nothing to God. Absolutely nothing. We are to live by priorities now, ladies and gentlemen. When I got born again, I got rid of a whole bunch of stuff, so I had a lot of time. It's just real simple. God knows when he saves you, you're going to have ample time to be part of the church and to do the things of God because now you're not doing the things of the world. It's real simple. And still another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. What man passes up a free meal when you're first married? <laughs> Again, you get the parable. None of them had a legitimate excuse. They didn't want anything to do with God. They wanted to give an appearance they did. They didn't want nothing to do with the Messiah. But they wanted and they said they're going to be in the kingdom. But all these excuses are lame. Notice the rejection of the gospel by the Jews would keep them from entering the kingdom of God then according to the parable. He's going to bring the hammer down on them, 21 through 24. The master hearing of their insulting excuses commanded his servant. The master heard the news so that servant came and reported these things to his master and the master became enraged. The master of the house being angry. The master commanded his servant saying, to him, go out quickly into the streets, the lanes, and the cities, and bring in here the poor, the lame, the lame, and the blind. So now the four groups are interpreted for us. They are the humble Jews, those that will be open, and with extension, I'm sure, the Gentile. But not these religious leaders who thought they were elite and they had a, a, a sure in. In 22, the servant said, there's still ample room. Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there's room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways, the hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be full. Those that the Pharisees looked down on in the alleyways and the streets and the regular people, compel them. This word compel in this context does not mean force them but rather to persuade and convince them by sharing of God's love, the gospel. God doesn't force any of us to go to heaven. He compels us by his love. When we realize the love of God that he gave his only son, and we realize how much he loves us, that's why rejecting the gospel was one of the greatest sins. It's a rejection against love. Absolute pure love. Augustine used this verse in the Catholic Church to force and compel and coerce people to come into the Catholic Church. You had no choice. And he used this to justify it. <laughs> God doesn't force you to go to heaven. You have all the right to go to hell. But you don't have to. He tries to compel you by his love that you might receive the invitation willingly openly here comes the key verse the punchline of the parable to communicate the truth of the parable in 24 the authority is that of Jesus to the Jews don't miss it for I say to you the words are true and binding in judgment of the Jew and anyone thereafter that none of those who those men who were invited shall taste my Supper. Whoa. 
Nine times the word invite appears. None is excluded. It's under grace. The person that's lost is lost by rejecting the gospel. Not because God predestined you, as Calvinists tell you, to damnation. But because you have chosen the place of damnation for all eternity. I didn't do that. You did by rejecting heaven. You do that by rejecting the gospel. You do that by insulting the love of God, the spirit of grace. Their sin was that of unbelief, refusing to believe the gospel of salvation. There will be um, no legitimate excuse on Judgment Day for not having accepted the gospel and repented from sin by any person. The invitation has been sent out, by the way, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in it should not perish, but have everlasting life. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, 2 Peter 3, 9. Yet God knows that not all will come because they reject the gospel. There are many reasons given by sinners in attempt to excuse themselves for not believing the gospel. Some say, well, I had a horrible father and mother. And I, I just carry that over. You know, I, I have a bad view of father. Listen, you're not that stupid. You, you're going to compare your father to God? It's a lie that's been repeated and taught by educators and psychologists. If you have any, any amount of brains, you know that God is greater than your father. And you would trust God before you would trust your father who was evil. It's real simple. I was hurt. I trusted Christians. They ripped me off. Welcome to the club. They didn't save you. I didn't get adequate answers from Christians about creation and dinosaurs and all that. And, that, that's, that's, and that's why you want to go to hell? Interesting. It could be financial gain, work, or family that keeps you from the kingdom. You fill in the blank. Listen how John closes the New Testament, the book of Revelation, Revelation twenty-two seventeen. He says, um, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely by grace. The person rejecting the gospel invitation is rejected by God, ladies and gentlemen. Make no mistake of that. It breaks the heart of God. Luke has presented to us these three groups who will not enter the kingdom of God by their own choosing. The primary audience is the Jews. The principle runs into the Gentiles. The person having evil intentions does not deceive God. The person living by self-seeking ambitions are abased by God. And the person rejecting the gospel invitation is rejected by God. Man, clear and to the point, clarity. That's how Jesus taught all the time. In geometry, I learned that the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. That's the way I teach. Jesus is coming. The world's going to hell. Why would I want to beat around the bush? Jesus never did. And we're to be like our master, right? 
Pastor Xavier Ruiz and getting back to the true priority of life. And today's message titled, You Cannot Fool God, is available as always on CD for only $4. And by the way, we'll also be including everything Pastor Xavier shared with us the last time we were together as well. Now once again, the title to ask for is, You Cannot Fool God. Or you can simply mention today's date. Now you can request your copy by writing, Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please be sure and include the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This information is helpful when we check on the impact of this outreach in your area. And then tell a friend and join us next time for more Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese from our continuing study series of the Gospel of Luke. See you then. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com